Hello fellow beings, welcome to Tapasya Loading, a safe space to attempt honest, raw and authentic conversation in homage to the ancient act of stoking a sacred fire. This episode is brought to you by everynowheremusic.com. Yep, you got that right, that's yours truly. So if this is an endeavor you'd like to support, please come and sign up for my newsletter at everynowheremusic.com. Every nowhere or every now here, depending on whichever way you prefer to look at it. Sophie is hands down one of the most sophisticated, intelligent and badass artists I've had the chance to collaborate with. During an artist residency, we both chaired at the Open Art Festival a few years back. It was the first time I'd been equally fascinated by someone who'd not just been presenting her work as a singer and composer, but also as a painter in multiple exhibitions. Um, I highly recommend you go check out her work on the links provided on the episode notes. Without much further ado, Sophie Dunair. We are on tape, so to speak. Great. have you been? Well, I have been very busy, uh, believe it or not, but this uh, COVID-19 time in the U.S. has actually, you know, opened up a lot of other alternatives to, to musical challenges and collaborations. So tell me more. Yes. So I um, it started with my artist in residency um, with present music in Milwaukee in February. I fly over there and I gave a couple of concerts and I was on radio and TV and a bunch of fun things. Um, Gave a lecture at the University of Milwaukee as a composer and uh, it all went very well and it was super exciting. Um, After that, I had some gigs in Puerto Rico, in the Caribbean, San Juan. Wow. With a pianist um, called uh, Carlo Munoz, Carly Munoz. And he used to be playing with the Beach Boys for, I believe, 10 years. Long no time. way. Yeah, the and, Beach Boys. Yeah. And he owns a that club. so amazing. So we did a jazz collaboration, which was very exciting. And um, from there, I went to New York City and I collaborated with Gene Pritzker and the Composer's Concordance. And um, I managed to do about one gig with them. And it was planned to have more gigs after that, but you know, as we all know, um, the COVID breakout happened, and uh, then I was basically stuck in New York City. Huh. How's that feel? Um, well, to begin with, it felt frustrating because you are in a town with all these possibilities and all these gigs happening, and suddenly you can't even walk outside the door, you know. Oh, yeah, so I can imagine. Um, but I think it took a while before you realized how bad it was. Um, you know, I I felt that to begin with, people didn't really realize how how bad it was and was to become. So um, it was sort of a, a freaky situation. Um, I but, can imagine. And also flights, you know, that were canceled. It was not possible to even go back to Europe. And, uh, you know, uh, renting a room or staying in a hotel or whatever, the prices were super cheap. That's one. That's one plus side. Yes, it was. So I ended up, uh, you know, staying and collaborating with present music, but online concerts, um, which was fantastic. So I, I, you know, was featured in their online concerts 
four of their online concerts. And I also did collaborations with Composers Concordance um, online events. Um, so, you know, it was at the same time, it was artistically giving and I did a lot of artwork and, and um, I did what I could basically. Um, and I sometimes in a way that, that can be a challenging and good situation because you have to think about ideas and things that you wouldn't think about Otherwise, you know, if you were in a comfortable, normal situation, yeah, whatever, yeah, what you mean. whatever that is. <laughs> well, if I may say so, with the, at the risk of sounding presumptuous, you sound really positive. You have a great energy going. <laughs> well, thank you. So do you. So do you. Thank you. How have you been, TL? Well, Europe's, well, Germany specifically, um, hasn't been that bad, uh, you know, Germans. This country is built for crises, um, the, the, and that was so evident in these past few months. Honestly, um, I, except for the very first couple of weeks where the lockdown was, the implementation of the lockdown was like really serious. Uh, it's almost like I didn't feel it, because uh, I mean, I, I saw this meme you posted earlier um, somewhere around. March or April about social distancing in Sweden, yeah. uh, and it's it's kind of similar in Germany in some ways. It probably not in my town as much because it's very very diverse and mixed. But when I compare notes with my friends in the UK or the US or Asia, I think the brunt of it wasn't felt in a way you would in the aforementioned countries. I got to say though, I come from a place of extra privilege because I am um, I'm an artist with the city council which means I had permission to move about during the initial weeks anyway even during complete lockdown I was allowed to go out on the premise that if there was emergency duty so to speak I might have had to pitch in on a hotline or something mm -hmm. so uh, I, um, I was very privileged all throughout and I landed right about on my feet here. I made it back to Germany on one of the last flights from London. Oh, wow. Mm. Yeah, just about. I mean, they didn't, they almost didn't let us land. Oh. I mean, my tour plans have obviously been cancelled for the rest of the year. And uh, um, for a guy who's designed his entire life to live in one country only three weeks at a go, it's a mm -hmm. very strange feeling after six years of living nomadically. So that hasn't affected your life so much. My, yeah, my static lifestyle in Germany has hasn't really gone yeah. through major changes. It's it's the being in the other countries I'm based in additionally yeah. and not being able to be there in person. That's the part I'm starting to really kind of. Well, I have a, I have a hard time following um, following exactly what each country is doing and when they're opening up and how they're opening up and. You know, and, and there are changes all the time. Also in the States, it was very varied rules from state to state. I got it. I was also, in the, towards the end of my trip, I was visiting um, Wisconsin and Minnesota and did some projects there. And uh, Wisconsin had opened up and Minnesota, Minnesota was still closed. And New York City uh, was starting to open up when I was leaving, but there everyone was wearing masks. Um, but in, 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 in Wisconsin, nobody was wearing masks and in Minnesota, they were wearing masks. And so it's like different countries, the way people looked upon the whole situation and 
you know, um, and not to talk about Sweden, right? Coming back here, nobody was wearing masks. I was the only one who was wearing masks in the supermarket and in the pharmacy. And that was highly strange <laughs> for me. Um, so I had to talk to people and get a grip on how things had developed here. And I didn't quite understand it when I was in the States. I only lived the pandemic in the States. And right. And know how they spoke about it and how they reacted and how they treated the situation over there. Um, I can only read in, in, in the newspapers and New York Times, or, or, you know, all these articles about Sweden. Yeah, they've been very, uh, I'm looking for the right word, I almost said innovative, but I don't want to uh, provoke a polarized. <laughs> it's been a... No, I'm, no but you know, um, you hear only half of... of you know, the truth or whatever it is, right. um, just through press, it's very difficult to get an understanding of what's going on anywhere. Oh, yeah. You have to speak to people who live there and then, oh, this is the way it is. Oh, that's why they did this. And that's why they don't wear masks. But they don't explain everything in the press, not not for neither side. And I think that's a that's too bad, actually, um, how things get transformed. Yes, I think if there's anything that's been exposed to a degree that it hasn't in a really long time, it's about how the media is not a huge help in in times of genuine crises, for lack of a better word. Yeah, but it's like you have to put things in context. And why is it like this here? And why is it like that? In, exactly. In the States? And, and it's so it's so much more complicated than the the things they write in in the papers. Exactly. You know. It's, it's really, uh, it's really too bad um, because I just had to speak with a couple of friends, and then I, oh, okay, then I understand why it could could be like this or like that, you know. But I had no idea I when I was a, no idea. I can intimately relate to that. In the initial weeks, people were calling me from all over the world saying, "I hear Germany's population is being wiped out." It, 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 yeah, it they right. made it sound like people like. like <laughs> That there are zombies on the street or something. I'm like, <laughs> like I have no idea where you're getting your information from. But honestly, I don't. I don't even see a huge change here anyway. And and you know, I want to be careful saying that because it was obviously a very delicate subject at the time. And I, you know, like I said, I did have a very privileged position all throughout. But uh, it was so painfully evident that there's like crap loads of information being flown around with no. Well, I mean, I mean, really, both sides, you know, in every, you know, I, I mean, uh, equally here, they probably didn't get the all the information um, about what was going on in the states, you know. So either way, things are are floating around and being misinterpreted. Yeah. Very, very much so. When did you say, how, how long have you been based in the U.S. now this year? Since February. Since February. Wow. So right before it all started, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, I guess it got really bad sort of the second week of March, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. From then on. So, but still lots of things going on. In the U.S. online, of course. Um, yeah, so tell us more about that. Right. Present Music had their um, online concerts, and I participated as a singer and a composer in these online events, both singing live as uh, uh, as well as through videos, and also 
featuring uh, my art. I did some live painting during one performance. Wow. Um, yeah, that was kind of wild. Um, together with a, a piece of music and uh, I also recorded some stuff in the street in New York City. Um, this was before lockdown by Moondog, the composer Moondog, uh, who used to stand in this corner for, I don't know how long he used to stand and, in, in this corner. Have you ever heard of him? Rings a bell. I'm afraid um, you're going to have to help me out with my ignorance here. Um, I performed one of his songs called I Love You, which is actually a canon. And so I, I sort of made a video out of that. Um, wow. Yeah, but that was from the street, so it's, it's, it's all live in the middle of the street and, and uh, uh, no microphones or no nothing and no people. <laughs> so just so, you and your phone? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, and I also, um, you know, did uh, get to know a lot of interesting people during those online performances, podcasts by present. It was actually a Zoom conference, and they still do it. There's going to be one next Wednesday, and they invite all kinds of people. Uh, contemporary composers and new music composers and artists, interesting uh, uh, musicians. And I have enjoyed uh, seeing a lot of new uh, composers. Beautiful. It's been a learning experience and very, very exciting. So, so, so if, I, if I may interrupt very briefly to yeah. inquire, when you're doing these concerts now, how, are you going about doing it with social distancing or just with live streaming with no audiences uh, there? So what I did with present music was, of course, online with Composer Concordance. That was like one concert, social distancing, but 12 uh, musicians in, in a bigger garden. Wow. And then they live streamed on Facebook and they keep on doing that. So that was sort of the first concert being together with other people, but using social distancing. Gotcha. But everything else during those months have been, uh, you know, only through computer. How's that feel for you? Um, how does it feel for me to... Yeah. I ask because, you know, when the whole, you know, when shit hit the ceiling, everyone's about, okay, you know, the entire concert industry is going to go live streaming now. And for a while, everyone was like, okay, we're going to do these festivals and everything. I played a couple too. Mm -hmm. But it seems to me we, people are starting to get a reality check as to as interesting and as... Well, innovative as a live streaming concert is, it really isn't a substitute for an actual concert, isn't it? I mean, it has an advantage that you can get people to listen to it that probably wouldn't come to your concert because they wouldn't be in the same town. And now someone who lives in another country or in another town, they would actually sign in to listen to you. So it, gives, it opens up doors in a way. Very good point, actually. I hadn't thought about that. Well, you have to adapt to it it took a while and also all these sound issues and you know i've seen a bunch of concerts where things are just you know people are dropping out because of problems with the sounds and you have to learn and the zoom you know conferences and and you know some people have combination of live and pre-recorded stuff you know it's all you're slowly finding out how to to do it how does it feel for you energetically like when you're on stage that part of the experience is what I was trying to get at. Oh, you mean on stage? You mean in a room? Yeah, when you're actually in the midst of performing. It's intimate, you know, you don't see your audience. Like exactly. That, that's, I guess, you hit the nail on the head. How does that feel? Yeah, it's like making a recording for TV or radio. Um, 
which is different vibe. I don't mind it actually, but you know, I don't understand why more people don't think about where you could treat it as a concert. You should dress up, you know, but a lot of people don't even dress up, you know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I gotta ask you, I I can't help but wonder if these people would have dressed up in like traditional real life concerts. Yeah. Well, I mean, or not necessarily dress up or put on whatever when, if you're gonna have a concert, you know. Yeah. Uh, but not a lot of people seem to do that. But you can actually, you know, make it a spectacle or dress up like you would if you're going to have a concert. Yeah, know, I hear you. Backgrounds and there's so much things you can do. I know, right? Like a proper performance art kind of thing. Yeah. Especially for you as a visual artist, your head must be brimming with ideas. Oh, yes. They're boiling right now. <laughs> I Yeah, yes, yes. I have a lot of visual ideas. And, you know, you could really take advantage of creating a, a visual atmosphere. That's actually one of the topics I'm really looking forward to addressing now. For our audiences, uh, uh, me and Sophie met on the tiniest of Canary Islands a few years back for uh, an artist residency where we, we both did, where Sophie was participating as composer and uh, visual artist. I have to say, I'm such a huge fan of both your music and your painting. I want to dive right into this right now. When did this start? Were you a painter who started singing or a singer who started painting? Um, so I think actually I started with a drawing as a child. Huh. In drawing my way through life. Um, I was drawing a lot when I was a child. Um, then I kept on drawing, but, you know, I guess it intensified maybe uh, 20 years ago. I got heavily into it. Hmm. But, you know, I studied music. I never studied art. I never took a class in my life. Wow. I'm an autodidact. But, you know, I, 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 I produce a lot of it since 20 years back. I produce a lot of it. And it has been also sort of a therapy for me when I have been you know as an artist you have your ups and downs so painting and drawing it's sort of like uh you you empty yourself things you're uh you need to to get rid of or explore it's all you know it's a nice outlet for me so you know in the mornings that's the first thing I do I just make a bunch of drawings wow it's really like eating or sleeping or it's just very natural it's, my, it's a way of communicating to getting rid of thoughts or experiences or, or joy or sadness or anger, you name it. But, you know, it just explodes. It's, I have so much stuff, you know, it comes out all the time. It's like a nonstop outlet. That is so amazing. So it's almost like, a, you know, at the risk of sounding somewhat pretentious, it's almost like a meditation, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, but it's just, but I tell you, it's not a... It's just like I'm going to, you know, sleep, I'm going to eat, I'm going to, it's just a very, very, uh, it feels very healthy to do it. Yeah. This also gives me ideas for composing. Um, They say that math is is connected to music, right? Math, Mm -hmm. math. And I was very, I was not very good in math when I was a child. Oh, same, I was shit at math. But people tell me that it's like geometry, right? So I'm good at using... um, like you good at playing with it, but not calculating small things together. But I was good at creating things with, you know, p- 
proportions and put things together. Geometry, right? That assists me to compose and, and to see measures rather than taking classes about arranging in school was also hard for me. I didn't understand. Oh, that is super interesting. When you paint and draw, it's about proportions and measures and putting stuff together, right? Yeah. So, so when I do that, it also gives me new ideas for, for composing music. So they sort of uh, complement each other or assist each other, the, these two, two uh, outlets of, you know, creating uh, yeah, music and art. And also, you know, I do audiovisual concerts at the artist residency in Milwaukee. I had a little art film featured on one of my pieces. This is a piece called Hey Doctor. I have a... A 45-minute long art film, Noir. I took a part of that art film and featured it for this piece with present music. That was really, really cool. It was like projections, you know, upon the wall. So um, I do I do audiovisual projects. I will have actually an art exhibition in Sweden in a couple of weeks where I will sing and feature some of this art film as well. Beautiful. Looking forward to that. That will be live streaming. If I may rewind ever so slightly, the part you just referred to regarding the interrelationships between symmetry and composition. I get fresh ideas from 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 doing that. I think the art, uh, expression in my art is also slightly different than the expression in my music. My music is slightly more uh, maybe uh, dissonant. And the art is more childlike, so they complement each other. Wow. It keeps on changing, you know. Um, it keeps on changing, and, and the music changes also a bit the more art I do. So, you know, uh, they feed each other. I, I find uh, the use of your word dissonant very interesting. Personally, I would have probably used a word like provocative instead. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, because I don't find the music dissonant at all. Of the minor two, minor seconds, and you know, try to. Yeah, 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 because it's uh, it, well, they're, they're very um, well. German has a very beautiful word for it, kantig, like edgy, but it doesn't really this translate that well. Do, do they have the, that word in Sweden too? Mm, maybe uh, kantig. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't hear that a lot. Was? Kantig, I don't know, um, with an edge. I don't know what I would say that they would say about my kind of music. If I usually use the English words for it anyway, but but in Swedish, I guess it would be utmanande, kantig, utmanande, provocative, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that makes sense mm -hmm. to me. It's interesting that you refer to two poles of either the childlike and the very, again, for lack of a better word, dissonant poles of emotion but i gotta be honest with you when i see your paintings uh -huh. they connect very organically with the music you compose too for me personally maybe i'm projecting i don't know well actually i mean now thinking about it it's more yeah it's more provocative now possibly years ago it was kind of cuter uh, if it ever was cute i don't think it was cute either but you know a bit more naive at least i don't know while the music was more maybe they're maybe they're coming together now ah. i have no idea <laughs> i'm curious here's a question that just popped up you're like a very legit college educated musician and a completely self-taught painter 
How do you think these two completely different approaches to the way you've learned each individual form of art has had an influence on the same? Um, I think that the art, um, I guess you, you don't have such high expectations. You can be Ah. So I become freer in the art. I can so relate to that. If you go to school for something, and which is your main profession, then you have higher expectations, and you that will, in a way, you get more restraint, and so you can't be as free. Mm. I wish I would be as free, but at the same time, you know, in the art, too much freedom, I think, could also make things up. You need limits to be free as well. Very true. I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing, but, you know, um, that's probably an explanation, you know, that I have less expectations so I can not care so much. And the flow in the art, you know, goes easier than the flow in the music because I expect too much. That makes a lot of sense. And what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My One of my earliest mentors used to say freedom and discipline are two sides of the same coin. Yeah. It's... Um, it's a lesson I find increasingly relevant the, the longer I practice my arts. But would you say the, the discipline that your trained approach to music helps give that sense of structure to your uh, painting? Hmm. I'm sorry if I'm getting too granular or analytical here. I'm just super curious. Okay. I mean, I, I think so. Before it wasn't like that. But now, you know, when I keep on doing those two art forms next to each other, they weren't similar to one another. Mm. It, it's uh, like I said, the art is becoming more edgy and the music is taking influence from the art. So they're coming together. And of course, that influence is my way of, uh, you know, making my drawings. I go to a lot of museums. I go to a lot of galleries. I look at a lot of I consume a lot of art all the time. So, of course, that's a way of learning, right? And I've been drawing my entire life every day. So, yeah. but, you know, when I meet musicians who never went to school, then I can sort of envy some of the energy that they have. Because I, I am a believer in this kind of raw, primal energy that I think sometimes is lacking when things have become too academic. Oh, yeah. I can, that really resonates with me. Especially when it comes to jazz, I admire a lot of jazz musicians who are just have this explosive, raw approach, you know. Yeah. The, and this polished, when something's too polished and too clean and there's like a distance between the expression and the attack, it takes too long, you know, so it... it, it there's a certain timing, fascination about timing, uh, both when it comes to expressing art and expressing music. There was a Swedish uh, painter called Ivar Orsenius, and he said something that I really like. The subconscious will be in its right place if you create with intuitive speed. Beautiful. I love that, both for art and music. That makes complete sense to me. When I draw, I don't think. I don't use my head. That would be the end of it. I use my head when I take in influences, but then when I execute the art, I don't want to think. It's like if you make a solo, you don't want to think when you make a solo. It would be boring. Yeah, ideally. Well, because you used your head at an earlier stage when you receive the info. And when you when you express the info, then it, it, it's supposed to ride on this flow of intuition. Uh, that's how I like to do it. I'm not talking for everyone else. No, absolutely. You take the words out of my mouth. That, those could have been mm -hmm. my words too. 
Except personally, in my case, um, I think we might have talked about this earlier too, like my academic background in music took a very heavy toll on my psyche and my approach to music. I, I think I've spent more time unlearning a lot yeah. of the baggage I picked up at college than actually the, the amount of... Cool. <laughs> they always say, learn it and forget it. So there should be another school. Yeah, easier said than done. You know, there should be the learning school and the forgetting school. Dirty, right? I know, yeah. Except... To be fair, I've seen the other extreme too, like very emotionally, you know, charged up people who just want to pick up a guitar and sing their heart out and yeah. just, you know, make a lot of crap. I know, I agree. Because they've invested yeah. zero time in developing any skill whatsoever. So that, there's that other extreme too, which I've also I agree. had my yeah. fair share of. But uh, I guess that balance, uh, I think my equivalent of painting uh, would probably be martial arts at this point yeah. even though i'm not very good at it the very explicit physical expression mm -hmm. of it has been my counterbalance especially because constantly sitting at a piano and singing or you know i'm always sitting and i'm very <laughs> static i've never um, even though a part of me would rather be on stage and express more freely with his mm -hmm. entire body i'm always stuck behind my instrument it's something uh, i'm a part of me isn't very happy about to be honest i realize increasingly <laughs> Yeah, I, I like, I also play the piano when I sing sometimes. And I actually enjoy being behind the piano. Oh, I love it. I love it. Just when that's the only option you have, mm -hmm. at some point, I guess, one way or the other, you're naturally going to try and explore yeah. other forms of expression, I think. Like, <laughs> even physically while, yeah during the act of the performance, you know. Of course. Mm How -hmm. have your experiences working as an artist between Europe and US? Because you've been based between both continents for a while now, pretty much all your adult uh, career, right? Yes. I um, I studied in the States and I lived there for seven years. Yeah. And after that, I moved to Spain, Madrid, where I lived for about six, seven years. Yeah, I remember. Then I went back to Sweden, and then I have been sort of going back and forth to America again. Yeah. I feel that I received a lot of, you know, interest from my projects in the States. So that's why I kept on going back and forth and, you know, and things just kept on, kept on rolling. Basically had my base in Europe for the last few years, but I've been doing more things over there. I could really relate to that, actually. Yeah, you've been based, you are based in Germany, but as I understand, you do a lot of projects in other countries. I have a teaching gig here in Germany, but most of my artistic projects, or otherwise put, none of my artistic projects yeah. are based here. So, but you, I, I see that you travel a lot. Are you um, based half of the time somewhere else, or are you only based in Germany? So before the COVID thing happened, I would basically spend three weeks in each country and my bases were Germany, Lisbon, oh, right. Lisbon, London, which is my like childhood hometown, and Asia, like primarily India and some Thailand sometimes. So I try and design my my annual timetable in a way that I'd be about three weeks at each place and kind of move on. Like obviously not Germany and Thailand the whole time, but kind of I usually do Germany, Lisbon, Germany, London, Germany, India, India, Thailand, and so on. Let me ask you a question. How does uh, musically, uh, so I believe the reactions to your music must vary. Yeah, very much so. 
It's it, that's been quite crazy. Well, feels like like different aspects of my music resonate differently in different locations. Yeah, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Like when I'm in uh, UK or India, the lyricism obviously cuts through a lot more deeply because the audience is, you know, they're, they're native mm-hmm. English speakers. Whereas when I'm in Europe, for example, uh, in Germany or even Lisbon, or um, I sometimes feel the actual emotional part of it kind of gets through in a more unfiltered manner because people, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence on this, to be honest. But I feel like the appreciation for the actual design of the music is probably higher, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yes, of course. Um, like I said, I spent long, many years in, in Latin countries, like Spain, and did things and also in, in the Caribbean and in South America. But I, I, I have a, well, you get different reactions in different countries. That's true as well as the English-speaking countries and my own country. And it's these different parts of your art and your music that being appreciated in different ways, right? Yeah. Here's a question most of us hate hearing. How would you describe your music? <laughs> I said dissonant, right? No, my, my music, uh, I think for the, both for the arts and, and music, it's uh, romantically dissonant. Beautiful. It has both things, you know, it just has both uh, romance and edgy dissonance. Uh, then, you know, it varies uh, how much, if it's 70% romance and 30% edge, you know, it depends if you want to say, talk about it in percentage. But, you know, it's it's ironic, it can be satire, it can be sexy. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I would describe it as dissonantly romantic, romantically dissonant, you know, it has these these two uh it's very dual double i my art is double i am double dual how do you say in english double yeah the dualistic i think that's that's an inherent part of all of our lives at one level or the other this is like a really crappy question but i'm very curious because my music is not really nowhere close to as complex as yours is and i mean that as a compliment by the way just to clarify oh okay uh, it's it's still kind of it's it it moves in within the realms of what is broadly referred to as pop music, I guess. But like releasing the every every release is a lot of work and a lot of negotiation. I'm currently signed to a label in the U.S. You are and yeah yeah for for since last year. Wow, which one is that? Um, they're they're called Circulate Music. Um, they're with the Orchard. It's a it's a boutique indie label, mm-hmm. and uh, I've released four singles on on their. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, we we're going through a major transition right now since the whole COVID thing hit, and uh, yeah. I've kind of signed an NDA not to get into details on it publicly, mm-hmm. but um, but yeah. So one of the biggest challenges I've always faced is figuring out labels that work for its release so it reaches its right audiences how do you go about that what labels feel comfortable for you do you call it jazz or would you call it avant-garde and i think i've also been i've been called avant-garde and i've been called crossover right i don't really like the word crossover because i'm not trying to cross anything very well said I don't even think I like crossover. I'm not, I'm not trying to, well, now I'm going to combine classical with jazz. You know, it sounds pretentious and it's killing it. You know, it's just my music and I have different influences. I'm a jazz artist from the beginning, but, you know, I'm, I studied jazz composition. I studied jazz singing. I'm a jazz singer. 
improvisation. I took a lot of improvisation courses. So, but at the same time, I took a lot of contemporary music courses in school, and I collaborated in contemporary ensembles. Beautiful. You know, because I was hired for that, and and they liked this kind of timbre and not the typical classical placement of the voice. So I did work with contemporary ensembles simultaneously, and I also worked with, with uh, you know, world music-influenced jazz. So, you know, it's basically three things I did, and I have influences from all these things, and it's I make my music, you know, to label it. Well, sure, you could call it avant-garde, I guess, but, you know, some of it could be quite... Um, I mean, it's it's not free jazz. No, it's not free jazz. It's composed music and it has a form and uh, it's my music. And uh, sure, I guess you could call it avant-garde jazz artist. I love that. I love the energy with which you just said what you did. And I don't want to call it crossover. Yeah, me neither. I hate that word. But I, no, I, 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 yeah. I am a jazz artist who has contemporary and world music influences. How do you get into jazz? I'm curious. I mean, I know Sweden's had a long tradition of jazz, and you know they're one of my favorite countries for jazz, by the way. I didn't actually uh, know a lot about jazz when I went to study in America. Um, that's a weird question. I have no idea why I got into jazz. I have a good feeling about that. I was at a pop school um, singing pop, pop music for a few years. Wow. And... Uh, I had seven years of classical uh, piano training, and I wanted to be a cocktail bar pianist from the beginning. No way. Yeah. So me getting into to jazz, uh, I get attracted to it probably because of the freedom of, you know, the improvisational part. Now I can't live without that when I express myself. Is there a song or a singer or an artist you can think back to with one of the very first who kind of, kind of you know, just kind of... Gave you that kick? Elvis Presley. Huh. Because of his, uh, I, I said this earlier in another interview, because of his dynamics, he has had a very kind of dynamic way of using his voice because he was very, very strong, right? Back and forth. Yeah. I keep on doing that. And I realized I picked that up as a child. Uh, I used to watch all his movies as a child. I don't know why. Don't ask me why. I thought he was beautiful and he was, uh, he had a great voice. So that was my first influence. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, but is there a, an artist in jazz who, you, who you'd say kind of got you hooked? Because when you say you're not really sure what got you into jazz, no. I say. No, I don't think there is a jazz artist that got me hooked. Uh, and mostly in jazz, I listen to, uh, I don't listen so much to singers. Hmm. I learned uh, singing jazz through an instrumental method which I found more interesting. Ah. You know, all the jazz improvisation classes, I studied with Hal Crook on trombone. Wow. I studied with George Garzon, saxophone, and Ed Tomasi. Oh, you studied with George Garzon? Yeah, and they were all like wow. classes, you know, because you, you you learn the improvisation from an instrumental method, which makes it more, you can get more of your own sound when you improvise instead of using all these scat syllables. I wasn't a big fan of that. Oh, yeah. George Garzons, man, I, I studied with him for a week at a workshop during college. He blew my mind. No, that was, that was I think, the best thing with Berkeley, all the improvisation classes. I can imagine. You ask me why I got into jazz, probably because of all this improvisation, all the, the liberty of expressing a, a melody. You know, it's just sort of like when you paint, spontaneous, and it's all the, the timing, the timing. Time is the most interesting word for me in any art form. Art or music, time, time. Beautiful. Could you tell us more about time? 
Well, it's like I said before, you know, it's the speed of when you, you hit the paper or the or the notes, how, how where you place it and how fast it is that makes it sort of like a sparkling performance or, or an artwork. There shouldn't be too much space in between. It's the mind that comes in the way. I don't like when the mind comes away. It stops the time flow. Then we were all talking about this kind of fast expression that could also be just emotional crap when people just throw out, they sing their heart out without any substance and without any thought of having, you know, studied it in a more complex way before, right? I Mm. I understand what you mean by that, but, you know, I did did study all those things at school. I did study a lot of improvisation and a lot of um, courses. So for me... uh, it's important to use that in this kind of more primal way afterwards. Beautiful. Um, that's, you know, the time. So we said a lot, of, a lot about timing in those courses. And, you know, I think timing in general is an interesting word when it comes to, to art because it represents everyone's personal expression and personal energy. Because if you take too long, it kind of goes away. It doesn't, it doesn't make it for me. Mm. You understand? you follow what I'm saying? What you're kind of getting at is the flow state? Yes, the flow. So basically transcending time, like when you lose your sense of time. It becomes you, your energy. You transcribe your own energy into whatever art you're doing, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. That zone we're getting into is one which kind of starts where the realm of words kind of ends. And it's very challenging to describe. No, I mean, it's like what you and I are talking now, right? There's yeah. timing in your in your presentation when you're talking this is your style of talking that's you yeah. right but imagine yeah, i you, hope so <laughs> imagine that you would design everything you're going to say and you know and you would take you know you would plan it all out and it would lack your personal expression right because you, oh, yeah. you have all kinds of time fields when you're talking now right? it's not in yeah. four four it happened mm. you know it's changed time field all the time so true so true and i want the music to be like that yeah, like no gap between your true inner emotions and the expression. It can be boring just to let your emotions out and sing your heart out, sure. But if you have been fed yourself with information at an earlier stage, it's it's just a way of getting that information out with, with this kind of intuitive speed. Mm. Yeah, that resonates with me completely. Mm. I'm a little disappointed in my inability to show you exactly how much I'm in agreement with you. I don't think, I don't think I'm ex- maybe explaining myself. Very no, you're doing a great job. You, I, you know, what I quite the contrary. The painter, uh, the Arisenius painter, the subconscious will be in its right place if you create with intuitive speed. I'm in complete agreement, really. Basically, no middleman. Mm. No. No. It's a direct connection between the brain and the... Mm-hmm. Depending on belief systems, subconscious mind or soul or whatever, and the way it kind of manifests itself in its external world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so where are you now? I'm in Germany. Yeah, I was actually supposed to be in New York right now. Um, yeah, it's, it's I remember funny. you told me that. I think yeah. you that, that you had plans to go there. Would have been my first visit to the US, which crazily enough, I've never been to. For a guy, like I said, I've, my entire infrastructure is designed to live nomadically. I live in like a 10 square feet room. So yeah. it's, it's starting to get a little antsy now. But um, yeah. Well, how are we with time? I want to respect your time. I'm fine. 
Excellent. There's one more thing I kind of want to pick your brain on, yeah. and which for me as a man is especially, well, honestly awkward to talk about, but I, I really want to get to know more of this aspect to the entire experience of being an artist, which is, um, and I, I feel strange even saying this, that the fact that it's 2020 and we still have to talk about this, but gender bias. Well, um, you know, I think that uh, I uh, got used to, to you know, um, doing things on my own and I think I get them done if I do it. So um, it kind of uh, mm, feels natural now to the music business world. It's uh, something that I find quite disturbing. Mm. Mm. So I prefer, you know, to do what I can on my own to get things done because nobody's going to run as fast for you as yourself. Oh, very interesting point of view. Never thought about that. Yeah, that's all I can say. Um, yeah, it's a big jungle out there and uh, there are a lot of people who don't do what they say they're going to do. So yeah. oh, you really have to be extremely careful not to waste your time on the wrong things or the wrong people or the wrong business people. How would you define wrong? Who... Uh, I don't know if I want to get into details, but, you know, uh, all I can say is that I, I've had some interesting experiences like I think most pe musicians have had. And you don't want to waste your time. You don't want to do that. Time is pre precious for a musician. Mm -hmm. and, I think, you and I think, you know, if there are people in this industry that wants to make big money, they might as well work with something else where you really can make big money. But I don't understand why there are people in these circles of less less commercial music circles, um, what they are doing there if they want to make money on musicians, you know, because it's not really the right place. Yeah, I can intimately relate to that emotion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think now these days there are so many outlets to for artists to be independent. You know, they, in, in, in the old days, it was impossible due to the lack of internet and the lack of, you know, it, it was very hard to just get one contact, which is, I think, good. What is your experience? Very similar on some levels, especially the, the pathway area, like that dilemma of, you know, if making money is your primary concern, why are you in the arts and music industry? That's still something I can't seem to wrap my head around, especially after the way the whole record industry's crashed in these past few decades. The fact that there are still people out there who still kind of out to... Do you see what I'm saying? It's Absolutely. It's product-based mentality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the independence. I'm gotten pretty used to it. I think it's kind of good. Of course, you can be exhausted, but, you know, um, it's more exhausting to work with the wrong people. So true. So true. It's so easy to forget that. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes we program to chase exactly that which we think we can't have. The wrong people will give us the feeling that we, you know, something about this unattainable thing has us chasing them even though they're probably not even the right people to work with for us in the first place so true thanks for that i'm still curious though if, if this is something you're comfortable talking about uh, about what your experiences have been as 
a female artist throughout the you know in in the arts and music industry would you say you know the do you, do you really want to get into this <laughs> I I I do if you do if if it's something you're comfortable sharing very much so yes because I think people really need to hear about it. Oh, I think it's been uh, pretty difficult to be honest. Yeah, I often wish I was a man. Are you sure? Uh sure, but you know, I don't want to be judgmental either. All kinds of people in in every field, you know, in every country. I don't want to I prefer not to to say that they are like this and they are like that, but yes, I in my opinion it varies a lot. You know, it also boils down to personalities, who you fit with and who you don't get along with, you know, but sometimes you don't have the luxury of choosing. You just have to sort of take what you get, you know, in a certain situation, especially if you want to travel and you can't bring the same band all over the place. You have to meet new people all the time for specific collabs. So you have to be flexible and adapt. When I work in Germany, where when I work with my colleagues here, mm-hmm. the the biggest challenge for me is trying to get the bigger picture across to them. They always get granular from the very beginning and into the technicalities of it instead yeah. of trying to get a feel for it and just kind of let the technicalities fall into place on their own. Same time. Do it at the same time. Work with the technique and and uh and the feeling at the same time. I think it should be done at the same time because if you, Exactly. It's like balance. You, it's like you fry an egg and then you sparkle little things afterwards. Exactly. When I'm in India, for example, it's almost like a polar opposite. Like people are all about the vibe, the feel. I mean, I'm doing quote marks here, but a lot of times there's almost like a very questionable disregard for the technicalities of it. The detail, the attention to detail is very, very, you know, just not to the same extent. <sighs> UK. Well, I haven't really been working much in the UK recently. I got to be honest. I don't wanna. Uh, bullshit. But uh, yeah, my experiences in Lisbon, for example, um, were actually very pleasant. I found a pretty decent balance there, actually. Probably one of my favorite balances, I got to say. Mm-hmm. Like between the the cerebral and the intuitive and the organic. I really like the balance there. But it's just interesting how the, the challenges are always different depending on which locations I've worked in. And um, yeah, I have no idea where I'm headed with this. I'm just sharing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fascinating question i of course i think about it i do enjoy working in the united states i like the it's effective it's fast it's there's a lot of opportunities all the time i i really enjoy it um beautiful so would you say the us is where you enjoy working the most yes yeah i actually actually can relate to that a lot i just realized a lot of my my teachers and mentors in the past almost all of them have been american some of my mentors i would work with as well during my college times and I, looking back i realized it was probably the closest to how i visualize my ideal work ethic balance of putting in the right amount of effort but also respecting the vibe mm-hmm. mm. um yeah without doubt i would say that you were planning to visit new york now you are saying yeah so um Yeah. <laughs> That plan didn't quite work out. And you're still in New York? No, I am back in Sweden now. Oh, you're back in Sweden now. How how's it feel? I think I told you. No, maybe you missed that. A couple Yeah, of, I missed that I part. There, uh, about 10 days and uh Wow, how's it feel? Yeah, it was quite a No, oh, it's lovely. It's lovely. Summer is a uh, lovely here, but it's like you said, it's different in Europe. This whole attitude towards what's going on. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. it's uh 
uh, like I said, I was wearing my mask in the supermarket and at the pharmacy, and uh, nobody was wearing a mask. No, same here. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's a sort of I'm landing mentally and emotionally landing from, you know, this whole episode, the pandemic, living the pandemic in the USA, mm. which was uh, quite a being far away from your family and everything. You know, when a thing like that happens, it's kind of weird, you kind of. Because there was a moment there in New York where you couldn't even walk out. Yeah. Uh, nobody, you know, it was all empty and, you know, just reading, reading in the paper and watching TV about all the deaths. And it was, yeah. it was very intense. Very I know. It was, it was very dark. I was in constant uh, contact with some of my, some of my family who were based in the US, yes. in New York too. Also, oh, it was dark. Yeah. And also not to forget the Black Lives Matter Exactly, exactly. Which happened uh, about two weeks before I, before I went back. That was very intense. Um, I can imagine. And tragic what happened. I visited, um, I visited the um, memorial for George Floyd in Minneapolis. Wow. I left and that was a very... Um, very sad and moving and terrible. Yeah, I was in New York when when all the protests happened, and I'm also participating on a on an album, protest album, um, with a collaborator in New York City. Awesome. And I am singing on one of the pieces. Um, it's an album by Gene Pritzker. So um, I did that before I left. And then I was also, like I said, in Wisconsin, collaborating with the violinist. So, uh, yeah, there was plenty of plenty of collaborations. But the um, um, the Black Lives Matter situation, of course, created a lot of a lot of artistic outputs, you know, reactions to the whole situation. Hmm. That must have happened the same in in Europe. Um. I don't remember seeing a lot of artistic reaction per se, no. but um, it's been very interesting how Europe, especially Germany, reacted to the Black Lives Matter movement. I'm not sure if you know, but the second largest protest worldwide in Black Lives Matter was in Germany. Because Germany's had a massive problem with racism for, for a while now, and it's it's a very different form of racism. It's very passive. Mm -hmm. uh, like the, the microaggression uh, kind of thing, which really needed to be addressed. And it took George Floyd to pass away the way he did for that finally to happen. Uh, it was a long time coming, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I, I wrote some material on it, which got published. And uh, it's, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a very, very intense and even emotional, to be honest. Happened. There were like literally thousands on the street protesting yeah. In Berlin, Hamburg, Mannheim. I think the most beautiful thing for me to see that the people out there protesting, some of the people who've showed me the most support during this time, mm -hmm. uh, well, not me, well, the Black Lives Matter movement, were white. Yeah. And that was just a very, you know, beautiful development to, yeah. to see. It's Black Lives Matter is a movement. It's enraged the entire world. It's not just black people or colored people who are enraged about this everyone's really really mad and really really just not okay with this pattern that's been going on yeah and uh it's sad that it took 
things to get this far for it to happen. But it's also a sign of hope that it at least is happening finally, or yeah. so we hope. Mm-hmm. But no, no. To get back to your question, not a lot of artistic output that I've seen uh, as as a counter movement per se. But maybe that's me. I got to be honest. Like my peripheral vision when it comes to the you know, to music and arts are are not really very Germany centered in the first place. So um, most of the people I collaborate and work with are based outside of Germany. So I don't really know what's going on. Mm-hmm. So what what is your next project? Hmm. Right now I'm I'm just I'm going to be pretty caught up the next couple of weeks launching this podcast. Mm-hmm. It launches in July. This is the first time where I'm very excited, but it also requires a good deal of work because I want to do it right. There's a curatory aspect to it which I want to you know, do to the best of my abilities. And then I release my next single in August and um uh and just kind of take it from there. <laughs> yeah, um, hard to hard to make any plans. Yeah, I mean, all my tour plans. I had tour plans for Indonesia and Japan and the US. Although the US would have been more of a field trip, mm-hmm. and uh, India as well, and some dates in Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just taking it easy and trying to work on my uh, location independent projects for now for for the rest of the year and see where that leads. Your music still. Uh, I remember when I was. At the Bimbacha Festival, your music, uh, I, I told you, you reminded me about, well, I hope you don't mind me saying this. No, go ahead. The singer Seal. Oh, I love Seal. <laughs> I love Seal. <laughs> that was the, what first came to my mind when I heard you. Now, that's actually a compliment. I, I love Seal. <laughs> I thought it was, yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was uh No, you're you're very right. Like that yeah. British uh, demographic of music, it's been a definitely been a specific influence in my musical journey. So <laughs> you're quite correct to have picked yeah. up on that. Is, yeah, yeah. Has your music changed since then since then? A little. I mean, I have a new uh, moniker I, I released my, my music under this past year called Every Now Here. Um, it's kind of moved the idea when I started every now here was a more collaborative interdisciplinary mm-hmm. kind of a project because in the beginning the first few songs there were collaborations with dancers and visual artists too yeah oh. and well um, then after getting signed to um, the label some changes happened in the way we started looking at the project and now we're going through a transitory phase again. So honestly, at this point, it's come to definitely a phase of transition again in a very short time. Mm-hmm. So uh, working with a visual artist for uh, the next video of the release. And it's just a whole bunch of ideas, which I'm trying not to control too much. Because mm-hmm. um, honestly, I don't feel like I have any control over most of the events happening right now anyway. So yeah. It's a period of waiting and watching and staying productive and active to the best of my abilities right now. Well, it makes one forced to plan closer and take care yes. of small things, which is, I think, is a wake-up call. Usually, uh, I look too far ahead, so I forget about the things in between. But this way of planning, you have to, you know, take care of every day in a different way, which makes the product better. Yeah, I think we all did. I think this this has been a wake-up call for everyone 
in relation to that specific thing of planning to far ahead? You, you focus better on the process and the process. If you focus on the process, the quality will be better. So true. So true. So that's a good thing. Yes, I think yeah, that's I, I think that's exactly what I was trying to describe right now. You you described it better than I did, so that's what I'm trying to focus on: just the quality and the fulfillment in the process in itself, without sp spending too much time worrying about where that leads to. Yeah. It's more challenging than I think. I mean, in my head, I'm a lot more evolved than I actually am. So, <laughs> you know, I try and come up with these. Uh, ideas on how to improve the process but when I'm there I'm like hmm should I go on Instagram now should I you know how's my social media reacting to this and it's yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean it, it's a side of me I'm very disgusted with at this point but you know I think I don't even know where to start well I think most people you know most people are the same for this whole thing yeah I think it's a common trait <laughs> You think? Yeah. I hope so. Actually, I don't. I'm not sure. I hope so, but yeah, I guess it makes me feel less alone on it. But <laughs> another revelation the COVID done for me personally is to realize that I'm really not a social media kind of guy. I've been spending way too much time working on social media strategy. Yeah. Well, I'm not a tech person. <clears throat> I have to learn all these things, like microphones and techs. And I'm not a tech person, but you know, that's, they say that's the future. So there's no other way than getting into it. Yeah. There's a lot of debate regarding this. I'm on the fence uh, with the whole thing. I feel like the pace at which technology is progressing, mm -hmm. you know, always keeping up with it is not a realistic prospect anyway. So I think for better or for worse, every individual is going to have to find a line to draw for themselves. That's where I'm at right now. I might think differently in a few years. I don't know. But at this point, the constant attempt to keep up with technology feels like... I'm not sure if it's worth the effort anymore, to be honest. Yeah, well, I guess you, you, you take what you need. Exactly. For your own, for your own purpose. Uh, exactly. You totally leave your old way of doing things, then you would lose lose the big artistic part of yourself. I'm not ready to do that. I'm not, either. I'm not ready to go digital with my art and only create things digitally. For me, it has no uh, meaning. Then I would lose my entire artistic uh, source. You know. Exactly. Uh, there's so many levels to express yourself on a paper and with real. Uh, you know. Uh, I, it's the same thing when it comes to to music for me i'm not used to creating music that way so you know i think you end up doing what what's best for you i guess what it really boils down to the way you look at it is retaining authenticity i mean that word gets thrown around so so much these days making sure the the whole mechanics of it doesn't take over your art or take over your work it's just a tool to facilitate and not the other way around you know exactly that's, that's how I feel. That seems like a pretty decent note to bring our conversation to a taper. Again, uh, no, not again. I just realized I didn't even thank you for coming on. It's an honor and a pleasure, always. Well, and I am excited to reconnect again. Yeah, me too, me too. And we should have another chat. Again. Absolutely. That's one of the things that this podcast gives me such a beautiful modality to kind of reconnect to a lot of people. I realized at some point, man, I have some really amazing friends and colleagues mm -hmm. with very interesting experiences and journeys. And it's I, I really want people to know more about that. Now, one of the things this podcast aims for is to address uncomfortable issues in a safe space. 
And if you've been listening to our earlier episodes, you might have noticed that gender bias has fallen onto that list time and again. Now, FYI, I'm not necessarily on a mission here per se. I do this mostly for the betterment of my education. But I do think the experiences a lot of my guests share speak for themselves and emphasize the need for this dialogue. In Sophie's case, I want to take a minute to thank her again for taking the initiative of coming on the second time to talk about this. Yeah, we are back on tape again. Let's talk gender bias. Your experiences as a female arranger, composer, singer and artist for, for a while now. How have your experiences been? So, yes, when it comes to collaborating with males in the music industry, I have often felt excluded in bands, um, even my own bands. Sometimes I wondered why they wanted to play with me at all, because they did not seem to enjoy it. And uh, it seemed more like they wanted to play with each other. So I felt that the presence of a singer seemed redundant and uh, also by judging on the amount of unproportionately long jazz solos they used to take, I was seriously wondering why they didn't make their own group instead. Um, yeah. I think, you know, I think that they instrumentalists need to decide if they want to play with the singer or not. It's as simple as that. And they have to decide whether they want to back up the singer or relate to her more as an instrumentalist, working as a whole group. and. That's where the confusion starts. I mean, you really have to to know if you want to be in it or not. I think there's a lot of instrumentalists who complain about the singer. There's a lot of singer jokes. The singer doesn't know enough theory. You know, the singer, you need to write out the stuff for the singer. Sure, it's the singer. She's the leader. You know, she's not supposed to know all the goddamn theory, you know. So help her out, write out whatever is necessary. And then end of the story. I think it's also interesting that these jokes have always assumed that the singer was female. Oh, yeah. Have you noticed? Yes. Yeah, you you won't really hear a lot of male singer jokes. Well, that's another confusion. I mean, it's a male confusion right there, which is hard to to deal with, you know, in this kind of power trips within bands or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to know if you want to perform and play with a singer or not. You need to do a certain certain amount of comping for her and be fine with that. And if you want to stretch and you know. Uh, get into all this instrumental thing, you should know that you have to do less of that if you play with a singer. It's as simple as that. Yeah, I agree. But you being a singer and a composer and an instrumentalist, what do you have to say about that? My experiences have been very similar, except I have the privilege of being male, as a result of which I haven't felt discriminated to the extent to which most female singers have been in my experience. That being said and done, I've always felt very torn when touring with bands, uh, especially the last band I toured with for almost three years. I felt very torn because on one hand, I felt I was playing this role of one of the guys, one of the instrumentalists, whereas deep inside, my soul felt crushed because the singer in me has a very feminine energy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's also kind of strange. I also sing in a female range. I used to sing even soprano in at college. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a very feminine energy that I kind of channel when I sing, and that part of me felt crushed increasingly until to a point where I just couldn't take it anymore. It was like, no, this is. Oh, I need to stop doing this. This whole gym talk, one of the guys thing. It's a role I play which is completely in conflict with the artist in me. So, that's, that's, 
that's interesting. I mean, as a singer, these days I don't have trouble taking space when I improvise or sing or whatever. Uh, but as a composer, which went hand in hand with a singing role, it was harder to make them understand that I was what I was looking for because they seldom wanted to play what I was looking for. I mean, I educated myself to be jazz singer, jazz improviser and composer. I studied jazz improvisation, trombonist, Hal Crook, mm. with sax Garzon, as well as, you know, transcribing with Tomasi and I studied composition, both jazz and contemporary, and I always had a clear sense of the colors I wanted in my music. And, oh, you know, absolutely. I've, Again, I want to I want to make this an official statement for my listeners who don't know, who are not familiar with Sophie's work. The average jazz musician would get their ass kicked by Sophie's arrangement and compositional chops. Thanks, PL. That's yeah. very sweet of you. It's just <laughs> a fact. I, it needs to be said. I wrote jazz charts, chords and tensions. However, very often jazz musicians seldom wanted to play what I had written. They wanted to change it around. Um, so that led me to write out the voicings. But, you know, that wasn't popular either because they felt they couldn't express themselves enough they felt limited um and but neither could i as a composer i mean for example if i have a an inspired a jazz tune that's inspired by kurt file and it was suddenly changed into a pat metheny chart i mean you know uh then uh they're not swimming in the same sea as i do um that's all i asked for um i wasn't asking for a you know anyone to show off their technique. I was just asking them to intelligently try to follow the same artistic landscape. Um, mm -hmm. Sure, I may lack some technical abilities that they had in their, their uh, whatever, writing out the charts. But, you know, still, you should be able to discuss those things and be respectful about it. Uh, but I'm unsure if these kind of conflicts happen due to the fact of gender or me being a singer. Maybe it's a combination of both. Yeah. And also, you know, these days you have all these modern programs that you can use for writing charts with, you know, Sibelius or whatever. And I prefer to write my charts by hand. Um, That's awesome. And, or, sure, we make mistakes. Singers make mistakes. I mean, you have, uh, you know, Pavarotti, he couldn't even read, you know. Mm. I'm not myself to him in any any way but i'm saying that what do you I prefer would. someone someone who sings bad and can write a good an amazing uh chart or someone who sings really well who can't read you know in the end it's all about musicality so you should be able to discuss that without too much fuss well to start off with i'm not a huge um, expert on opera but I'm quite in awe of your singing skills, and I personally would see no reasons why I shouldn't compare you to Luciana Pavarotti. But maybe that's my—I don't know. Like I said, I'm not an expert on opera. Opera is one. Opera is one genre I know zilch about. Um, secondly, I think I, I, I think handwritten sheets are way more authentic. And fr from the description of what I just heard. It sounds to me this situation is very reflective of the quintessential male symptom of struggling with vulnerability. Sounds like the musicians, you, you, some of the musicians you worked with just were might have struggled with the fact that they actually need to put in some work to understand the depth and intricacy of your music and weren't willing to do that. So instead of admitting the fact that, wow, this is something I need to understand, I need to put in work. They kind of um, projected an egoistic energy into it and just kind of changed it 
in, in into something that's more in their comfort zone so they so their vulnerabilities are not exposed so it's fear of exposing their vulnerabilities which is a very quintessentially male problem well, for for me when it comes to artistry i feel that um i i think it works the opposite um i feel that technique is not going to be dressed with artistry i think artist artistry should be dressed by technique and not the other way around absolutely you follow me absolutely. i mean usually in school you start learning the technique absolutely then, and then you add the 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 the, the artistry um am i saying that correct artistry absolutely the yeah. technique is a tool and, and it's just yeah. a means to the end this should be studied simultaneously and if something should come first, it is not the technique. I agree completely. Uh, you know, um, that way you can get into someone's artistic um, landscape and try to understand it. You know, the technique should only help that landscape explode, um, not the other way around. Yes, I agree. Can work similar, you know, in parallelly, um, trying to to understand what the composer wants not only from a technical perspective but from a emotional and intellectual perspective then whatever tools you use to get there okay that's fine uh you know it might not always be perfect but you sort of have to discuss it it was like a chart i did with a bass player in february he was a classical bass player and i had written uh, jazz charts and you know um and of course, that can sometimes be confusing to try to understand each other if you come from different styles of music. But if you speak about the colors that you want, you know, I was trying to say, well, here you can use those two notes, maybe this one note, maybe this does sounds better, and then you just work it out together. And uh, it sounded really great. I was super happy with the result. So I guess what it really boils down to is broad-mindedness and communication. And also an amount of patience. You know, oh, yeah. um, very, very important word. Thank you for saying that. Also, if you want to travel and if you want to collaborate with different people, you usually don't have a lot of time to rehearse. And if mm -hmm. you want to get into difficult material in this, I'm talking now about anyone, every musician who wants to do that. Right. You, you hook up with a person or a whole band and you have like 20 minutes to rehearse and that's risky. It's easier to do a standard if you do those kind of things. Personally, I think I've come to a point where, it, where I feel if playing, you know, for lack of a better term, original music, if you're playing your original music, the only way to make that a long-term sustainable project is if, you're, if you've built a community of artists you keep working with. I don't think the whole session musician paradigm works for artists anymore no but it's just a, in jazz you know for a jazz gig or whatever it's not a lot of a uh, lot of money so nobody really has time to to rehearse a lot unless you have the same band all the time but you know if you want to if you want to move around you can't really always bring a big group yeah so budgets are obviously uh, a big question mark you know fitting that in to the entire scenario yep i hear you i hear you and I, i'm not going to claim to have solutions to that i'm still work work you know trying to figure it out myself 
Mm-hmm. Let's address some of the experience you've, uh, experiences you've had in the music industry, being a woman, not like colleagues, musicians, but uh, business people. And, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur or independent musician, you're constantly looking for opportunities. You're trying to work on uh, bookings and uh, PR and stuff like that. How have your experiences been as a woman with this regard? Oh, it's been the typical during many years, especially, you know, um, when I was younger, there was a lot of people approaching you for the wrong reason. You thought they were interested in your music and they were interested in sleeping with you. On an average, how many times would that happen to you in a year? In a year? Um, I mean, this is all spread out, but, you know, um, it did happen. It happened quite often. And it was always as disappointing. But, you know, it made you also question what kind of uh, people, what kind of men need to, to do that. Yeah. They must have been very emotionally confused and mixed up and mixed up that confusion within their own profession. Um, you know, I don't think women possess maybe the same problem because maybe they don't have as strong of a drive. I really don't know. But men certainly um, use it while working. If you can't have a love life during normal circumstances, um, it's sad that you have to use it in a power position. Yeah. I think that actually that points towards the main issue here, basically toxicity. And well, I can imagine. Uh, well, I can I can only imagine because I haven't really been through that kind of constant uh, harassment, really. But I think what, one of the things people underestimate is the amount of uh, reverse guilt and self-doubt that can potentially result in for the person who's being harassed. Yeah, well, it's more of a a gender thing, I think. I don't think it led to a musical self-doubt in that sense, but just a huge disappointment. Um, No, I wasn't referring to a musical self-doubt, more like self-worth. If, you know, an example, if someone treated me like shit or, you know, like thought I'd be desperate enough to sleep with them in order to improve my career, it would, at some subconscious level, I'd be asking myself, what exactly am I doing to have given him that message? So I am doubting myself at some level. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. 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 Okay, I got it. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Definitely. Even though, even though I'm, uh, uh, there's nothing I've done wrong except being a certain gender. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. No, I mean I've had that happen without even provoking it. Just exactly. Uh, sure. You end up questioning, asking yourself, why? How did this person even dare? Exactly. And you shouldn't have to ask yourself that question. Very true. No, it's depressing. It's very depressing and upsetting. Yeah, and life as an artist is tough enough without having to deal with that kind of baggage in addition. Uh, what I earlier said when it comes to talents, yeah, I feel that female singers aren't always mainly approached for their musical attributes. That's no secret. Um, and I feel that men mix up their own needs with their profession, and uh, that's um, a problem. I agree. It spoils a lot of working opportunities, at least to say it's depressing for the for the female. And I can only regret and say if they're so desperate that they cannot even, you know, get a romantic life during normal circumstances, needing to use their professional power and positions in order to seek some love and appreciation. It only shows how unsuccessful their private life is. Um, but I've seen plenty of this. Plenty, plenty and plenty. And I think... I believe you. 
it's uh, mm, I would say two of the more frustrating situations has been involved with you know gender and singer in this profession. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. I have a question. Mm-hmm. So, for those of us, um, especially male, who want to contribute to the to an overall improvement of this situation, what do you suggest we do? Because I'm not a woman, so I can't. You know, I feel awkward. Uh, I'm. I want to be an ally uh, when I see a female colleague being discriminated against. So, what's the best way for me to do that? So, you know, in a, in a band situation... Uh, Not just in a band situation, but overall in the music and, music and arts. What's the best way for males to be an ally to, for equality? Well, just to, to include, to include um, what, what type of situation are we talking about? Well, n- not just in assumption of a situation of conflict necessarily, but overall... What is it can we, that we can do in our everyday lives and artistic practices to make sure that we are contributing to some level of improvement of this entire system? Just include her like a friend, you know. Include her as, in the same way as you speak to, to one of your friends, you know. Sounds good. And, and secondly, in a situation of conflict, if you see a female colleague being treated unfairly what's the best way to be an ally for her well speak up yes thank you speak to the one who's discriminating her one of the issues i sometimes face is when i see a female colleague being you know the term mansplained oh yeah sure that's a good i'm always worried that when i try to stand up for her i'm adding to the mansplaining <laughs> I'm all, you know, so i'm like how that's do hysterical. i <laughs> no? <laughs> no how do i be an ally without oh my god a, Adding to the man. Super nice here. Uh, I'm not. It's yeah. it's true. No. Uh, I'm just no, being honest. Yeah, really. I think that's pretty clear. You know, you're not adding to it. It's a necessary surgery <laughs> to get out of the mansplaining, right? You have to interfere and be a mansplainer for for a few seconds, right? But that's like a, you know, that's a necessary interaction to get rid of. Yeah, you take away chewing gum with chewing gum, right? Yeah, except in the worst case scenario, the two guys start fighting amidst themselves, which is really not a solution. Hysterical. You know, which is what most males would do, probably. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they turn this entire thing into some kind of a damsel in distress who needs to be rescued scenario instead. Yeah. You know, which is completely counterproductive. Yeah. I mean, you know... Uh, Question it if you hear something like that. Thank you. That helps a lot. <laughs> well, I want to thank you again, Sophie. Mad respect for coming on to this again to talk about an issue which is really not very really easy to address openly on record. Yeah, I mean, you're giving me an opportunity and an honor. Thank you for your trust. And thank you for taking that step for using this podcast as a platform to address this. I'm not doing a great job of expressing my gratitude the the way I feel it, but genuinely appreciate it. Oh, well, I thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, Yeah, I usually don't sit around and talk about those things. I can imagine. I can imagine. I think you've lived through an era where even the the right language to address these issues hadn't even been invented. See, I almost mansplained you there. Um... Well, you got to be able to explain things without being called mansplainer, right? Is there something called a women's planer? 
Um, no, I think it'll take a while <laughs> for that to be a legit term. The scales need to come to some sort, some state of balance first. Well, thank you so much it's for an, inviting me here. Oh, it's been my pleasure and an mm. honor. Uh, I freaked out when I saw your Instagram post today, by the way, where you're on the same list as Lyle Mace. I was like, wow. wow. I mean, Lyle Mace is one of my gods. You wow. know? I mean, <laughs> yeah, that was cute. I saw that. I saw that. That's a <laughs> yeah. Well, very well deserved. Gratitude from the bottom of my heart for listening to the very end. Please consider taking a minute to subscribe to our show so you know when the next episode is out. This is a labor of love, one I hope snowballs into one that's sustainable in its attempt to support independent thought and authentic relating. And having you as a regular member of our audience is what makes that a realistic prospect. Much love, talk soon. Just another voice out in.